0: Continuing on with the life, uh, and uh, this brings us here to a passage uh, that uh, Elijah actually doesn't come into until later on in the passage. Uh, but we can still learn a lot of lessons, certainly from Elijah's life, but but just generally from this uh, this particular passage. Now, I actually uh, preached from this passage. Um, probably, I guess, two two and a half months ago, um, a message called uh, Ahab Itis, and uh, we uh, learned on uh, learned how to avoid uh, getting infected with Ahab Itis, and uh, so some of this is going to be a tad bit of review f- in that regard. But there'll be uh, there'll be other aspects that uh, we didn't really cover last time. Uh, now, last last Wednesday night, we uh, we went through 1 Kings chapter number 19, uh, basically we learned how Elijah learned how to listen. And uh, again, he, he did a great job listening in chapters 17 and 18, and chapter 19, uh, not, not as great listening to the Lord, uh, kind of had the, the bad attitude, really was very defensive and uh, very prideful and, and living in the past. Uh, well, at the end of chapter nineteen, uh, as the Lord calls him to go and uh, find a successor for him, he 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 does uh, listen well. And in, in verse of chapter nineteen, it says, "So he departed thence and found Elisha, and uh, and cast his mantle upon him." In the last part of that verse, and and there's more that we'll say a little bit uh, as we a little bit later in this series as we uh, talk about how Elijah left a tremendous legacy, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more and kind of refer back to this. Um, But for tonight, we're going to kind of fast forward a little bit of time and uh, pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 21, and uh, we'll read just uh, verses 1 through 4, I'll have a prayer and we'll get into uh, our thoughts for tonight. The Bible says this in uh, verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things, that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So in other words, they were they were next-door neighbors. <laughs> and uh, so if you can kind of think of the worst possible next-door neighbor to ever have, uh, well, uh, Naboth, I think, had one of the worst. <laughs> and, uh, and Ahab was was bad, but, but then it was his wife that was even worse. Um, so... Uh, Here we go, verse number 2, Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed, and he turned away his face and would eat no bread. If you hear that Sunday, if you remember, there was a little cot up here. And uh, ahab Idis, you know, he kind of went and had a little pity party because he didn't get what he wanted. Um, And the thing is, you know, you can kind of understand a two- or three-year-old doing that, but the king of Israel, (laughs) that's exactly what happened. Uh, He was acting like a two- and three-year-old, and uh, we didn't even want our two- and three-year-olds acting that way. Um, So anyway, with that, let's have prayer, and we'll get into our uh, time together. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for this passage, uh, this particular account here, and I pray, Lord, we would learn some great lessons, Lord, that we can apply to our own lives. And uh, I pray that uh, you'd speak to each heart, Lord, meet each need. Um, I don't really know what everybody's all going through tonight. I have an idea of what some are, but uh, I just ask that you'd use your word tonight to minister to their uh, their life. And I uh, pray, Lord, that they would be encouraged and, and that whatever need they have would be met tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. I think all of us have. Uh, how many? Or let me just ask this question because I'm not sure all of you have ever had uh, a garage. How many of you've ever hosted a garage sale? Would you raise your hand? Okay, most of us have. Uh, they're a ton of work, and uh, I'm. I, I did not love it when we needed to have one. Um, when California, I would always have. I was always the guy that had to go put the signs around uh, the area to get people to come to our garage sale. And then in Montana, we had to do the same thing. And here, um, you can't really use cool signs here. You have to use the, the city of more signs. That's what you have to use for a garage sale. But, but when, we, when we've had these garage sales, the, the people would come, and, and they would begin to kind of look around and, and see the things that you have out. But then sometimes there would be some things that you have in the garage. They're kind of tucked away, and that will catch their eye, and they'll say, hey, uh, how much are you asking for that? How much would you want for that? And you're like, whoa, okay. Well, that motor, that's not for sale. Okay. Uh, my wife would be like, well, how much are you asking? <laughs> how much you got? <laughs> it's not for sale. Uh, th- those things that that's mine. Like I'm not interested in selling. Uh, well, here we have uh, Naboth, who was approached by Ahab and said, Hey, Naboth, um, I. I, I really want your vineyard because it's right next to my palace. it's it's right here. It'd be so convenient if you would just sell it to me. I in fact, I'll give you a better vineyard than you have now. maybe more land, maybe more fruitful. Uh, but i just I just want this one because it's right next to my palace. and uh, and if you don't want that, maybe I'll just give you some money, whatever you you say it's worth. i'll I'll pay it and uh, we'll we'll be good. We'll do business and and uh, you'll make out good and be able to f- buy another property somewhere else. Naboth said, uh-uh, it's, it's not for sale. Uh, no, it's not happening. And so as we consider this uh, tonight, uh, let's look at some lessons that we can learn from as we go through this whole uh, chapter together tonight. First of all, let's look at this concept, this lesson here, that there are things worth dying for. So Ahab, I'm sure, had quite the reputation. I'm sure Naboth was, he seemed to be a very intelligent individual. And so I'm sure that he had an inkling in his mind, in his heart, that Ahab, he's not the nicest guy in the whole wide world, particularly because his wife is certainly not the nicest woman in the world. And she oftentimes influences him to do bad things. She had the reputation of killing all those prophets of God, and and uh, here Naboth was a God-fearing man, and and so he knew that as the king comes to him and says, "Hey, give me your vineyard," and uh, when Naboth says no, uh, he I'm sure he didn't know for sure that was going to like mean that he was going to meet his death, but. Uh, but I'm sure he realized that that was a possibility, that he was going to have to give his life for this land. Um, now, obviously, that's quite an interesting neighborly situation there. I mean, again, you think you have bad neighbors. Uh, imagine being basically threatened with your life if you don't give your next-door neighbor your property. Uh, that's that's what Naboth was going through. Uh, now the Lord didn't say, "Okay, let's." If you hold your place here in First Kings nineteen and go back to Leviticus, Leviticus, and I know not everybody's favorite book of the Bible, but uh, actually there's there's quite a bit of great truth here in this cha- in this book of the Bible. But uh, Leviticus chapter twenty-five and verse number twenty-three. Um, here's what Naboth was thinking about when he was approached with this deal. Uh, Leviticus 25, verse 23 says, The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, for ye are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the land of your possession ye shall grant a redemption for the land. And then, and then in verse twenty five, here's kind of if thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possession, if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And uh, on it goes here. But uh, as Naboth was considering what God said, he said, "I can't, I can't sell this. It's not for sale because God clearly said that it shall not be sold forever. So it's not my place to go and sell it." Um. And the Lord didn't say that in Leviticus chapter 25, that uh, don't sell it unless you have a wicked king who wants it, and then maybe you should sell it. No, it was, it was, hey, uh, you are supposed to stay true to God's word. Uh, Proverbs 23 and verse 23, we flip back to 1 Kings chapter uh, 21, uh, but Proverbs 23:23 23, 23 says buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. see there's some things that as we accumulate in our life and get, uh, we, we better not sell it and and really we can boil it down to whatever God says, that's what we need to do and we should not uh, compromise in any way, shape or form. In other words, we need to be obedient, even if it costs us our life. Doesn't that sound a little cultish? Um, Well, isn't that what Jesus did, though? Philippians 2, in verse number 8, being found in fashion as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he, of course, is our example. And so what I'm simply saying tonight here is that there are things worth dying for, and and Naboth was probably, I'm sure, hoping that it wouldn't cost him his life, but he still said, you can threaten my life, I'm still not selling it, because God made it very clear that this is what I'm supposed to do or not do, you know. Uh, I'm going to obey the Lord regardless of how that affects my physical health. Um we, through this whole COVID situation, have elevated our health so much to where we're willing to do anything to maintain our health. Um, the truth of the matter is, okay, so maybe you do all the protective things and, and uh, you don't get COVID and you don't, you don't pass away from, from COVID, but one day we're all going to die. So the thing is, is we have elevated our physical health and our physical life to the point where it's like we're willing to do anything to maintain our physical health. I'm not saying we like in all of us in this room, but as a society, uh, generally speaking. And, uh, And yet here... Naboth was willing to stand up and be obedient to the Lord, even if that meant that he was going to die. And of course, spoil alert, he does die, and we'll talk about how he did in a moment. Now, The year was uh, AD 155, so uh, this was just uh, 100 plus years after Christ uh, was crucified and ascended up into heaven. The year was AD 50, 155, and the persecution against Christians swept across the Roman Empire and came to this city of Smyrna. The proconsul or the governor of Smyrna, swept up in this persecution, put out an order that the bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp, uh, was to be found, arrested, and brought to the public arena for execution. Well, they found Polycarp and brought him before thousands of spectators screaming for blood. But The proconsul had compassion on this man who was almost a hundred years old at this time. He signaled to the crowd uh, to be quiet. And to Polycarp he said, curse the Christ and live. The crowd waited for the old man to answer, and in an amazingly strong voice, he said, as a hundred-year-old man, he said, Eighty and six years have I served him. So he got saved when he was just 14 years old. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How dare I blaspheme the name of my King and Lord? And with that, Polycarp became a martyr. Some things worth dying for. Now, back to here to Naboth, I don't know that I would be willing to my life for the little parcel of land that my family lives on. Um, I mean, I like it. I like the backyard. It's kind of nice. I like the two trees that we have in our front yard. We plant. I planted a little lilac bush. In our front little landscape area, and it's going to take like 100 years old, 100 years for the thing to start producing little lilac flowers. Uh, But I like our house. I like our, but I don't know that I would be willing to die for it. But but I don't have the same biblical decree that that Naboth had here. Okay, Um, but here's the question: Would I be willing to give my life for my faith in Christ? Now honestly I hope that I never have to make that decision but it's possible that I will in my lifetime. There there are many in this world who do face that type of a decision. Not not so much here in America but in other parts of this world. And if I did I hope that I would be willing to say I would give my life for, for my faith in Christ and that I would respond similarly to Polycarp. What a, what a tremendous example. But it's not all about dying for something, though. It's We also need to be willing to live for something. And, and uh, we need to be li- willing to live for Christ. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.15, "...and that He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves," But unto him which died for them and rose again. So, yes, we need to be willing to uh, die for some things, but also also we need to be willing to live for the Lord as well. Um, Because he may never ask us to uh, become a martyr, but he is asking us right now to stand up and live for the Lord. And so I want to encourage us to do that. Well, in this Passage here, we have learned that there are some things worth dying for, but then we also learn that we need to be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. You know, Ahab wanted this uh, vineyard, but the thing is, is as the king, he really had everything else that you could ever want. I mean, power, uh, possessions, and uh, all kinds of things he could... Snap his fingers, and and people would come and and meet really every whim that he had, with the exception of this one vineyard that was right next door. His next door neighbor wasn't gonna wasn't gonna budge on this one, and so he ended up having a pity party. and 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 I went through that a lot in the last message. Here, uh, we're getting ready to uh, next Thursday. Uh, hopefully, gather with some friends and family, and. Enjoy some time of food and fellowship and uh, maybe fe- football, um, if you're into that type of thing. I- I've given up this year, so um, thanks to a certain phone call that I got yesterday, but uh, Brother Chuck gave me a hard time about the game last Sunday night. Just checking on the score. Okay, thank you. Um, there's the internet for that. You didn't have to call me on that one. <laughs> um but, uh, but Thanksgiving is a, is a special time of year. It's an opportunity for us to gather around. My wife um, has been doing this for a few years. She has this little book that she got somewhere, and, and it goes through every year. We go around the table, and, and she asks, okay, what are you thankful for? What are your hopes for this coming year and some goals that you have? And it's a, it's a neat time. Uh, well, then, so that's, that's Thursday, then, then we go to the very next day Friday Black Friday where we elbow one another so that we can get the uh, the deals and uh, push everybody out of the way and knock them over with the cart you know so that we can get what we want um, so quite a different mentality altogether going from Thanksgiving to Black Friday uh, we have Thursday is Thanksgiving then Friday it's covetous day it's you know, I want, you know, I've got to have this. And uh, it, we, here's the deal. We need to learn to be content with what we have. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse number five, let your conversation be without covetousness. Let your life be without this, I've got to have this scenario. Um, that mentality needs to go bye-bye for a Christian. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So the Lord said, hey, I'm going to be here and I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. Uh, Let that cause you to live a life of contentment instead of always going, I want the newest, the latest, the greatest, the next shiny object. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul gives a very uh, powerful uh, verbiage here regarding contentment. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And he kind of brings it down to the bottom line here in verse number 7 of that passage. He says, for we brought nothing into this world. How many of you came into this world and you had like all these possessions? No, we didn't even own a thread of clothing. Um, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And you probably have heard the old adage, you've never seen a hearse following, a or u uh, U-Haul following a hearse. And uh, actually, on the internet, somebody actually did that, so that that statement cannot be true anymore. <laughs> so actually, technically, I have seen a U-Haul following a hearse. Uh, but the the truth is i mean you you can't take that stuff with you anyway and so paul says in verse number 8 and having food and raiment let us be therewith content say well i don't have the name brand stuff and and i don't have what somebody else may have yeah well if you have food and raiment number 1 you're you're pretty rich according to the world standards i realize that if we compare ourselves with you know some of the rich and famous, yeah, certainly we fall short of that, but uh, you compare yourself with some third-world countries, and boy, do we have it made here. Um, Faith was asking everyone yesterday, um, our daughter Faith, she was like asking everybody because she was going to go Christmas shopping with Aunt Jeannie. And Aunt Jeannie took her to Del Taco, and uh, then went... Uh, Christmas shopping, and so Faith was trying to prepare for that, so she was asking everybody in the house, what do you want for Christmas? And the boys had a bunch of things, and and then she's like, okay, Daddy, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, what Julie and I always say when we are asked what we want for our birthdays or whatever, our anniversary, we always say we want a clean house and obedient children. (laughs) That's what we always say. And uh, I don't know that there's ever been a Christmas that we've ever got what we wanted, but... um, (laughs) Maybe one day, maybe if I believe in Santa Claus, just enough, this will be the year. No. Um, so th- the thing is is, Christmas, a lot of times, has become a time where, oh good, I get to get and I get to receive more stuff. Um, but of course, that's not what Christmas was all about anyway. It was about God-giving to us. It, it was about God-giving. And uh, that's how it needs to be with us as well. Psalm 23, verse number one says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hey, when I realize that I have the Lord as my shepherd, I really have no other really needs. Knowing that He's going to take care of me and provide for me and protect me, then like I don't need to be covetous. I don't need to be uh, wanting a because, hey, I've got the Lord. Somebody wrote a poem called Forgive Me When I Whine. It said, Today upon, I, I believe it was a lady who wrote this, she said, Today upon a bus I saw a lovely maiden with golden hair. I envied her, so beautiful, and how I wished I were so fair. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one foot and wore a crutch. But as she passed, she wore a smile. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet. The world is mine. And when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who served me had such charm. He seemed to radiate good cheer. His manner was so kind and warm. I said, it's nice to deal with you. Such courtesy I seldom find. He turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw that he was blind. O oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. Then when walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped a moment, then I said, Why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word, and I realized he could not hear. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears. The world is mine. With feet to take me where I'd go, with eyes to see the sunsets glow, with ears to hear what I would know, oh, I am blessed indeed. The world is mine. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. Uh, Here we have Ahab, a Mr. Whiner. And uh, sometimes we'll say, and we got this from my brother-in-law and sister-in-law in in Montana, but uh, when our kids start whining, we go, "Uh, you know what? I'm not fluent in Yiddish, and uh, I don't understand that type of language. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes I speak in Yiddish, and actually I can be pretty eloquent at times. Uh, but, but we really have no excuse to be going down that road because God has mightily blessed us. We just instead start counting our blisters instead of our blessings. Um, I read this week that every morning... We have a choice uh, between doing two things. Every morning we have a choice to either rise and shine or a choice to rise and whine. Uh, What's it going to be for you? I'm not talking about the wine that comes in a bottle. I'm talking about whining about our aches and pains and our uh, difficult life that we have to live. Or we can rise and shine and give God the glory for the things that He has done in our life. So what's it going to be? Paul learned to be content in whatever state he was in, whether he was abounding or whether he was in need. And, of course, that's the whole passage where we get where Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And the reference, the, the context of that verse is in this area of learning to be content. I can be content Even when I'm going through a trial, even when I'm going through a storm and the clouds seem dark and gray, and I can still be content. I can be content in my relationship with God. Ahab certainly was not, and uh, we certainly learned that lesson from him. That we need to learn to be content with the things that we have, because Ahab really had everything you else else you could ever want. He had the American dream or the Israelite dream. You know, he had power and possessions. To the max except for one thing and he threw a temper tantrum because of it uh, let's uh cover number three here and uh we'll uh we'll probably end with this one here number three we see here that god sees and judges sin god sees and judges sin So in uh, verse number four of this passage, Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. He laid him down upon his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no bread. He was just throwing a temper tantrum. But verse five, Jezebel, his wife, came to him. She comes to the rescue here and says to him, Why is thy spirit so sad, and that thou eatest no bread? He said unto her, Well, because I... And and he was totally speaking whinyese here. I mean, the tone of his voice had to be in that tone. Uh, because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel his wife said unto him, "Dost thou not govern the kingdom of Israel? He's like, aren't you the king? <laughs> Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. Don't worry about it, honey. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So verse eight, she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, sent the letters unto the elders, and to the nobles that were in his city, dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letter saying, proclaim a fast, and set Naboth and high among the people, and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, which was a complete lie. I mean, he did quite the opposite. He was honoring the Lord uh, by not selling that land. Uh, But now they're going to frame him by lying and, 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 and writing this letter and bearing this witness against him. Thou didst blaspheme the God, God and the King, and then carry him out, stone him, that he may die. Well, verse eleven: the men of the city, even the elders and the nobles who were in the who were the heads in the city, did had sent unto them, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them, they proclaimed a fast, set Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him, and the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth. So this, this plan. Was was very well thought through and executed perfectly here, uh, in the presence of the people, saying Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones, that he died. Um, so this all happened. Um, and uh, actually, according to Second Kings chapter nine, we won't turn there for sake of time tonight, but. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 26, Jezebel not only killed Naboth, but also his sons as well. Uh, because the land would have gone to them after their father's death, and she wanted to be thorough in her a little plan. Okay. Now, verse 15. Came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, arise take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money for Naboth is not alive but dead. like you can finally what had what you happened and and uh, you you've seen two-year olds you know who are crying in the supermarket you know and they want like something there, some type of candy usually some type of it's usually not please let me have more carrots <laughs> Okay, more carrots. It's usually not like that. It's usually uh, some type of sweet object, you know. And uh, then finally, the parent will cave and will say, fine, if it'll get you to stop crying. And they'll go and put, they'll like open it up right there in the store and knowing that they'll pay for it, you know, and give it to the kid. And the kid, you know, and then it's like turns off the switch. It's like just so quick. I can just picture Ahab being like that, you know. Well, I won't get my vineyard. I don't get my vineyard. And then Jezebel comes and's like, hey, arise. Uh, Naboth's dead. Okay. Go get my vineyard. <laughs> it's just so childish uh, here that uh, Ahab and Jezebel were being about this whole thing. Well, Verse number uh, 16, it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that he rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Okay, so Ahab finally gets his precious little vineyard, right? He finally is happy now what he was wanting all this time. And uh, they got away with it. I mean, yeah, Naboth died and so did his boys, but you know what? Ahab gets his... Vineyard and all is well. At least that's what they thought. While he was on his way to take possession of his new vineyard, God, meanwhile, in the background, had sent Elijah to go speak to Ahab again. And uh, every time Elijah shows up to talk to Ahab, it's usually not a great conversation. Um, And so here we go again in verse number uh, 17. The Bible says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Actually, it's time to go back and meet Ahab again. Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whether he has gone down to possess it. Thou shalt speak unto him, saying, "Thus Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed, and hast also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs licked the blood of Naboth, Shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And so here God sent Elijah to speak to Ahab again. You know, as all this plan that, that Jezebel had come up with, this perfect plan that they would get away with, uh, and it, it was well thought through and executed perfectly. And it worked. Uh, Ahab was now going to go possess uh, this vineyard. And Ahab's temper tantrum was uh, finally subsided, you know. Uh, Well, the thing is, they kind of forgot the fact that God was watching all of it happen. And uh, they forgot the fact that there is a biblical truth that be sure your sin will find you out. Um, Just ask people like Adam, who took of the... uh, You said apple. How many think it's an apple? How many think it was a grape? Pomegranate. Who has no idea what fruit it was? Okay, that's all of us. Yeah, we don't know what kind of fruit it was, but it was from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And whatever it was, they were told not to uh, take part in that, not, not, not to eat it. And they did. And then they were, you know, like no one else knew that they did that. Because there was no one else on earth, <laughs> um, but they forgot that God was able to see all of that, and so they realized pretty quickly that God did know, and He did come looking for them. Uh, Cain, he thought, well, I'm going to get, I'm going to get my brother that I don't really like so much because uh, he presented a sacrifice before the Lord, and the Lord had respect unto his sacrifice, but not mine. And so I'm going to take it out on my brother. So he goes and uh, draws him away into a place away from mom and dad. And he kills his brother. Pretty soon, God comes and says, hey, by the way, where's your brother? See, God was able to see all of that take place. King Saul, uh, when he chose to disobey God's command to utterly destroy the Amalekites and all that they had, And they thought, well, we'll we'll get away with it, all is well. Well, the problem was God saw all that, and so God sent Samuel, the the priest, uh, to go and confront Saul and say, by the way, the days of your kingship are numbered. Uh, We're going to go find a new king who will be willing to follow God's command here. David uh, understood what it was like to know that his sin would find him out. I mean, he just had one night of unbridled passion. I mean, that's not that big of a deal. Come on. I mean, yeah, obviously it is. And uh, he goes and tries to cover his tracks. And in in doing so, God saw all of it and eventually sent Nathan the prophet to go put his finger in uh, David's face and say, Thou art the man. That's the first you, the man in history. And it was not something you wanted to be. You didn't want to be the man in that case. Um, I think about in the New Testament era, Ananias and Sapphira. Remember when they sold some land and then got the money and then and then came and delivered the offering to the apostles and this big uh, display of spirituality and generosity and said, here's how much we sold it for. And it was... Uh, less than what they actually sold it for. Uh, but they wanted everybody to think that they were giving all the money instead of keeping some. And keeping some was fine. There was no command at all regarding that. They didn't have to lie, but they chose to all to try to present this unreal uh, uh, image of their spirituality. Well, thing is, God knew what they were doing. And God made it known. And uh, they became, uh, they they both died that day because of it. Acts chapter 5. See, look, sins done in secret before others are actually way out in the open before God. He sees it all. David said, and David again would know um, because it happened to him, in Psalm 139 in verse number 11, he said, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. If I say, look, I'm I'm doing this in the dark and and no one can see. Then he goes on to say, even the night shall be light about me. He says, yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, referring to God. The night shineth as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. In other words, God has perfect night vision technology. He can see the same whether it's the brightest noon or the darkest midnight. It makes no difference to him. He sees the same whether we're doing it in front of people or by ourselves in the darkest of night. God sees just the same. But not only does he see, he also judges sin as well. Let's pick it up here in verse number 20. And we'll wrap this up here in a moment and finish this message next week. Um, But verse 20 says, And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. There it is. The Lord sees the evil and the good. Well, verse 21, Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and cut uh, from Ahab, him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in the Israel. And I will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger, and, ha- and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also uh, spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city of the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. See, look, we can sin, and, and, and there, but, but the, we need to remember that there is still judgment of sin. And, and I realize that, look, praise the Lord for the blood of Christ, which washes away our sin. I mean, all of our sin, our past, present, and future, amen. Um, it's under the blood Um, But that does not give us then a license to continue in sin. Paul addresses that in Romans chapter number 6. Again, ask Ananias and Sapphira how sinning as a believer works out. Or the church or the saints in in Corinth who misused the Lord's table and who were sick and some of them slept. It wasn't that they were taking a nap. Uh, The Lord had Prematurely ended their life because of their sin. See, yes, it's all under the blood, it's all forgiven, and that does not mean, though, that God still doesn't judge sin as believers. Um, The Bible says in James, which, by the way, was written to Christians, James chapter 1 and verse number 16, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So here Jezebel and Ahab, boy, they got away with it for a moment. And they were about ready to kind of set up camp in this vineyard and kind of like, you know, redecorate and make it their own. Um, But before they got there, man of God comes named Elijah and says, by the way, you're all going to die. And it's not going to be a pleasant death either. It's not like we're going to have a big funeral and pomp and circumstance and a a big honoring ceremony. No, actually, um, the dogs are going to lick up your blood. That's not exactly uh, the nicest way to die, especially for someone in that type of position. So God delivers judgment. There's a couple more thoughts. We'll finish them next next time. Uh, Wish I had time to do them tonight because they kind of do kind of go hand in hand, but but we are out of time. Uh, let's let's pray and then we'll uh, look at some prayer requests tonight. Lord, thank you for, Lord, your love for us. Thank you for the life of Elijah. So many lessons that we can be learning as we go through this series. Um, but Lord, tonight we've talked about the importance of uh, being firm on what we believe and, and being willing to even die for those beliefs should you call upon us to do so. Lord, thank you for the example of Naboth who was willing to Do what was right, even if it cost him his life. May you help us to have that same backbone in our uh, faith and in our relationship with you. Lord, we uh, looked at Ahab and how he was acting like a two-year-old with his covetous uh, attitude and mentality. Lord, help us to be content as believers. We are so rich in Christ. Help us, Lord, to be thankful for the things that you've given us and, and not go down this path of, of covetousness. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that you do see and judge sin. And Lord, we're thankful that in Christ, we there's no condemnation to those of us that are in Christ. And yet, Lord, as, your, as, as our Heavenly Father, many times you do need to discipline us for going down the wrong path and for committing sin. Lord, help us to live a holy life, live in righteousness, and walk in truth because of it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.